0: And one of the things I realized was that I was always worried about getting it right. And so I had to strip back that layer and say, okay, as a CEO, there's a lot of times you're not going to get it right, but you have to paint the vision of what you want and then share that with everybody else.
1: Metrics and intuition. Is one better than the other? As much as you want to trust your gut all the time, the truth of the matter, a sustainable and profitable business cannot be run based on 100% intuition. I want you to think about this. When you find yourself not feeling the joy of an offer you've been making, yes, it's time to let it go and create a new offer that serves you. You are following your intuition. But before you create a new offer that serves you, it is in your own best interest to use the story of numbers to tell you whether or not your new offer will be profitable. You need to build your pricing and examine your cost. And you need to understand your capacity for delivery. Pricing and cost are the numbers needed to understand your profit margin. And profit margin is one of the key metrics in any business. All I'm sharing here is this. If you, the CEO, have built seven-figure business and so far relied heavily on intuition alone, that's awesome. It can work to a certain point, but it's risky to rely on it indefinitely. Following your intuition feels good for the soul, but following your intuition and backing it up with real numbers, that's magic to your business. Allow yourself to open this magic door, let your numbers tell you the story of your business and take action when you don't know where to start find a strategic business finance expert that can help you open the magic door you're listening to her ceo journey the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs i am your host Christina shahley if you are new here welcome This is a free weekly show where my guests and I take you behind the scenes and into the inner workings of our businesses, sharing the good, the bad, and the truth about the money we have made or lost and recovered as entrepreneurs. And all because we want you to see how you can live a freedom lifestyle using the power of finance to build your business dream. This month, I am excited to bring in marketing experts to talk about the secret language of marketing metrics. If you have not listened to the episode where Rita Berry share on how to forecast sales using analytics and marketing metrics, and Angela Johnson share on how to integrate intuition to marketing metrics, head on over to kristinashahli.com forward slash podcast and I guarantee you won't regret it. Even better, I invite you to subscribe to this free weekly show using the app of your choice so you won't miss any future episode. My next guest, Kate Al, is the CEO of Simple Pin Media where she and her team helps clients to grow their business by using Pinterest. Let's find out Kate's CEO journey and her secret marketing language. Kate Al, welcome to her CEO
0: journey. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Okay, I share a story that I was like, you know, almost joined your group program and all that stuff. So, you know, it's exciting to have you here because, you know, your personality, I think that's one of the, it's not the Pinterest itself, like I said, it's for your personality. To see you grow a business to a seven figures, mm-hmm. I really want to know, what do you really love about your CEO journey,
0: Kate. I think the thing that I really love, it's kind of twofold. Personally for myself, I feel like it's such a stretching experience to learn more about how I'm wired and how I'm gifted and be able to find people who are gifted and wired in ways that I'm not and empower and equip them to do their job well. I think that is something that I love about being a CEO where I can easily... Not easily, but you know, pass off things that I don't need to be doing, but pass them off to people who are really good at it. Mm -hmm. So watching that magic happen is just a gift that you really can't get if you're not in a CEO position. And then I think the other part is just to piggyback on that, to watch my um, leadership team, my executive team actually, watch them lead their departments and me coach them in how to lead their people well and how to coach them through mistakes and how to coach them through growing themselves personally. So I think those two things are probably the biggest takeaways from being a CEO that is different than when you're a solo entrepreneur, you just have a VA and maybe one person that you're working with. It's just different when you're just have all these people working for you. It's just really exciting. And it's it's not overwhelming for me in that space of having a lot of people.
1: Because I know you have like 40 employees. Yeah. 40. It's not even subcontract. It's like employees.
0: Well, it has been subcontractor for a while. We are switching to employees, mostly because we realized we needed to be. So legally, I would say we've been running like employees, but now we're moving to actually being official, which I think that's just part of growing a business. You start one way, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I need to switch that. So that was what we switched. But yes, people will stay the same. It's just more the title.
1: Did you imagine yourself like back in 2014, have 40 employees under you and then become a CEO of a business?
0: Never, 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 never. Even like when I was younger, the thought of being an entrepreneur, growing a business wasn't really in my radar. It was more, oh, I'll be a teacher or I'll do something... You know, I always knew I had a very organized brain so I could put mm-hmm. things in categories, but I never understood the leadership part of it and leading a team. So mm-hmm. not 2014, it was just, how do we survive? It wasn't even the idea of growth. It was just, let's get some money real quick. <laughs> because we need it. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> okay. Other than being a leader, seeing the joy, of how your teams are growing, what does it really mean to you to be a CEO? in addition to the leadership portion
0: i would say for me being a ceo means that i have my eyes on the entire picture but i'm not doing it all i'm really the person at the head of the helm saying where are we going to take this company what are i'm standing at the beginning you know the front of the boat looking out going what's 3 years in advance what does this look like how can we really grow this company to serve not just the clients that we're serving but to serve the people who work for me. And so it's a very holistic thing. And that's the way that I see it is I picture myself kind of with, you know, my arms out kind of looking over the land going, okay, where are we going? what are we going to do next? And how am I going to lead people well, even though I don't have all the answers. And I think that's also a big shift that you have to make as a CEO is Mm -hmm. you don't actually have to know everything. You know, you think about like the CEO of Nordstrom or even Target. They don't know the day-to-day or the person standing at the register, but they care about it. And they're informed about, you know, if there's issues or things they need to change. But their primary role is to continue to move the company forward, and that 's very different than somebody who's doing the day to day work so that 's what I think CEO really means to me and how I see my title
1: hmm. okay, so now, when you say you 're looking forward you you, you know you kind of like set the vision you know for the long term because i 'm assuming you want this business to be a sustainable business and it 's going to grow a long-term, and then now you have like 40 employees, that's a huge responsibility, right? Because there are other family that depends on you basically, right? Mm -hmm. Like back in 2014, it's only you and then how to survive. And then maybe some of this family employees are depending on you to survive. Now, how do you translate those vision when you're growing this company to the financial goals that you have? Mm. What did you do? first time when you are thinking of growing this business?
0: Right. I'll say probably back in 2016, I think it was, I read the book E-Myth mm, and I that was that. such a good book, right? You know, 2014, 15, 16, it was very much, okay, let's see if this will work. Right. Okay. We're just testing the ground. Yes. Well, then when I read that book, it was like, oh, this is such a different switch of a business and a switch of, I want to own my business. I don't want my business to own me. So that required that I empowered and equipped people to do the job. And then at the same time, I read built to sell. And that was also really good because the two matched up super well with being very systematic and being very easy to understand. Mm -hmm. And I think in that, in those two, in those two moments, I think then I decided, okay, I need to begin to lean into being okay with, it's almost like I didn't trust it for a while, right? Huh. It seemed like, oh, I just hit upon this. I just got lucky. Well, then I realized I needed to actually now step into my role. So I think I didn't step into the CEO role probably till like late 2016, even 2017, because I, I kept going, okay, we're only going to get to 50 clients and then we're going to stop. And then you know I kept pumping the brakes on myself, and then there was this moment when I went, "Oh, we could go to two hundred, three hundred, four hundred clients, and that doesn't overwhelm me. Like, let's do this." So I think looking at those books, and then I read or listened to the book uh, "Vivid Vision" this last oh, I never year.
1: Heard. okay. Oh, I so so good. Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah, really good. Um, Vivid I think vision. with my personality, I struggled with setting goals because I didn't want to fail, and so I kept limiting myself. And this year I realized that I actually always do set goals inherently. Like I, I wouldn't even, I just do it all the time. And one of the things I realized was that I was always worried about getting it right. And so I had to strip back that layer and say, okay, as a CEO, there's a lot of times you're not going to get it right, Mm -hmm. but you have to paint the vision of what you want and then share that with everybody else. So when I read Vivid Vision... What I liked about it was you talked about three years down the road, describe your company, describe what it looks like, where it's at in very vivid detail. Mm -hmm. And that unlocked for me, I think, both my CEO role even more, but then my ability to forecast in the future to say, okay, here's where we're going. And if we don't reach this... Then that's okay. And I, I think one of the things too, as far as like a monetary goal, is I struggled mm-hmm. with that. Like I strug- a number didn't mean anything to me. Like I heard people say, like, I want to go a three million dollar company. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. And so then vivid vision allowed me to detail it all out to go, oh, now I know what it means. And now I know what this $3 million goal does. Okay, let's go for it. So that I think those building blocks allowed me to put everything together to go. Okay, now I see where we're going, but I didn't see that in the beginning.
1: So what are your favorite vision then that makes you overcome? And then, because, okay, here's the thing, because you point at something that I've been thinking in my head, right? What does seven figures really mean? Other than it's a number and then it's a revenue. Yep. You know, and then I had a conversation with another, with a connection of mine. And then she said, some people wants to reach, only a certain level. And then they're happy with six figures. Some people, they want to go to seven figures. I said, the struggle is that even for myself, I don't know what it means with that seven figures other than it's more money. But what is that more money going to do? Is that what your struggle
0: was? Like, is that Definitely, you hit the nail on the head because I I was telling my coach, like, you see Facebook posts and you see people are like, I'm a seven figure business, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But then when it really came down to it, it was like, okay, somebody can have seven figures and then they're not taking a dime for themselves. They're like spending it all, right? So then you have to get down to the nitty gritty of what's your net profit, what's your gross profit, what after you pay people. And that's very different it felt like an arbitrary number. Like, okay, it's really cool to say we hit that number. What what does it do? Well, then when we set the vivid vision, we realized what it does, it sets the, the playing field for being able to grow into that piece of being the best Pinterest marketing and management company by serving this many clients, by doing these many promoted pin campaigns, by doing these many, by really optimizing this space Mm -hmm. to be the best. And the number goal just shows, it correlates with the growth of clients. It correlates with the growth of the team. And then we look back and we back up from there and say, but the net profit is actually really what's most important, especially when you get to something that's very service-based. And I think what people have to realize is that in this industry, you hear the seven figure, but they're a course creator. That is very different. And your profit margins are gonna look drastically different than a service provider because my stuff, my mm-hmm. money is in mm-hmm. team, right? Mm-hmm. But as a result of that, I get to go away on a week vacation And not have to think about my business because my team does it, right? Like there's that Mm -hmm. element of it's just different. So the net profit margin on a services based business is much different than the net profit on a course based business. So you have to quantify it. So, yeah, seven figures. Well, tell me about your business and tell me about your net profit, right? Then we can get down into the nitty gritty.
1: Yes, exactly. Okay. So you bring up the point that I really want to ask you because how do you know that agency model? is the best for you. How is that
0: connected to your vision or your why? You know, I think it really had to do with right in the beginning when I started my business. In fact, the conversation that started it all was simply one at a kitchen table where you know we were down in the dumps, we were super poor and a friend looked at me and said, you should manage people's Pinterest pages. And I was like, that's crazy, that's dumb, like I'm not gonna do that. But she was like, you have no other option. So I think it was, I fell into it but then I realized I understood the value of customer service. So I did a lot of retail, you know, college, even in high school. So I, and my parents were very, they had a business where it was a home-based business. And I remember like in eighth grade, I would answer the phone like, Hey, right. And my parents sat me down and they're like, we need to teach you how to answer the phone. Because we have a business. And it's such... And also during that time, somebody had sent me to um, a leadership conference that was in Washington State. And I was able to start to match all these business pieces all together. And I didn't connect the dots at how that really shaped my view of customer service and serving people until I got into this business. And I realized I actually enjoy being super helpful and taking things off people's plates. I could see if I could take this piece of Pinterest off of somebody's plate, they're actually released to do more in their business than they could do if they were trying to figure out Pinterest and do it themselves. So how do I make that experience so amazing for them that they don't even know we exist, that they just trust us so much They're so thrilled with our work, even when the numbers are down, because Pinterest numbers do fluctuate. There's going to be times when they're going to be down. But how do they see our value so strongly that they wouldn't let go of our services because we're just so invaluable to them? And that's really how this whole customer service and serving clients and knowing that an agency model was for me. I also sealed the deal. Probably in 2016, when I launched my first course, it was the master course, which is a comprehensive Pinterest course. And during that time, I realized I hate launches. I hate courses because you have to update them all the time when it comes to a social media platform. And the course model was not for me. I needed more connection with people. Mm -hmm. And there's an element to, once you sell a course, it's a one and done purchase, right? Mm -hmm. Once you do a service provider, it's a recurring monthly revenue. That is very different, you know, where you're kind of the ebb and flow of the course model as opposed to a constant of a service provider. And I think I just realized I'm a service provider. Like I can really see how to help people. And I really like the monthly recurring revenue. It's really nice.
1: Okay. But a lot of people out there, okay, the course Mm -hmm. creator or the one that love launches, okay, they don't believe that agency model is scalable but you are able
0: to scale it. Yeah. How did you do it? Uh, that's such a great question because I think I'll share my experience and I'll yeah. say what I think the blocks are. So yeah. for me, it was really eight months after I was, had started this business, my daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. It's very sudden. You're literally at the doctor, whisk to the hospital. You're there for a couple of days. And I remember sitting there, emailing my clients and saying, okay, you guys, I'm I'm sitting in the hospital. I'm so sorry. I'm going to try to get this ahead. And they were so gracious, right? They were like, seriously, Pinterest is not important. Like get back to it next week. But in that moment, I realized I need a backup. Like Mm -hmm. I need somebody else to help me with this because I don't want to shoulder this in case another emergency comes along. Mm -hmm. And so it was simply... um, I asked a friend, I said, Hey, you know a lot about fashion. I have a couple of fashion clients. Can you help me with this? We sat down in the grocery store. I showed her my system, and I began to realize oh, if I can show someone my system. I can replicate this over and over by hiring somebody else and hiring somebody else. And I see my friend over here, she really needs a job, but she doesn't want to go out and find one. She wants to stay at home. And so I think that those few things started to stir in the pot and the mixture started to go. And I realized I am not the smartest person in the room all the time. There's other people who are way more creative than me, but I'm the smartest gatherer in the room. So I can look at a group of people and say, well, you're good at this and I'm not. So I'm going to put you here. It's a little bit like a board game, right? I can Mm -hmm. see it in that way. And so that allows me to see if I put people in place and I'm very smart about my margins, you know, I looked at, oh, this is what a client's paying us. This is what I can pay somebody, deduct taxes. This is what I can take home. Mm-hmm. and i was not married or attached to that very first number the gross number i knew mm-hmm. i was going to take less mm-hmm. but if i did it in a strategic way that i grew the company with enough of a profit margin i could not only give other people employment but i could still pay myself and so i think that just came naturally as a re- as a result of that experience mm-hmm. but i know a lot of people who get really tripped up with paying people mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. as well as letting go of control, what if they mm-hmm. make a mistake? Well, if you let them make a mistake and you let them fail and it's a one-time thing, chances are they're never going to do it again because they probably learned more from that mistake than you did, right? Mm-hmm. And there's there's just a different element of people are messy. You know, You either want to step into their mess or you don't, and that's okay if you don't. But for me, I just realized there's way more advantages or positives mm-hmm. to stepping in with people's messes and allowing them to grow than there is if I just keep it all for myself. Because if I kept it all for myself, I was going to stop at 10 clients. That, that was it. I couldn't do anymore, right? So you either had to hire people or stay where you were.
1: Okay. So in terms of the financial planning, when did you first hire and how many people?
0: August of 2014. So it was 10 mu- nine months after I started my business. And one person.
1: Oh, the one person when your daughter was sick. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So you hire that person. So... Did you calculate at the time? This is how much I'm going to pay her.
0: This is, did you raise any price at the time or? You know, I didn't at the time because what I had done when I first started my business was I calculated the rate that I wanted. So how much did I want to make per hour? And I set my prices there. And then what I did was I had enough of a buffer right to where then I could pay her a little bit of money based on what I was earning too. So yeah, I calculated, I think it was right around 40%. I could pay her and then I would take the other 60, 10% for taxes and then a 50% on that, which think about it, 50% and I was not doing anything with the account. She was doing it. So I mean, that's pretty good. So then... I took that from there and I I did start to raise prices. And that was really nerve-wracking too because when you raise prices, you think, oh, people are no longer gonna wanna work with me. But my prices were so low to begin with (laughs) that I had enough of a buffer to raise them. And there were not very many people at the time doing what I was doing. People were still really focused on getting their Facebook traffic back. And Pinterest felt just really confusing for a lot of people. So I would say when I started, there was maybe only three to four people who were doing this as a service. Most people were just learning how to teach it. So it paved the way.
1: How did you grow to 40? Like, so Mm. one person, 2014, then what is the next batch of employee? And then how did you figure out like in terms of your financial process, I guess. Like what are the stuff in,
0: in the annual review? So that first year I kept track of everything just in an Excel spreadsheet. So I would invoice myself. I didn't even have an invoicing system. So it was very archaic the first year. Right. And I would pay her through like Chase quick pay. I would just do all of that. And then I had an accountant at the time. I still have her and she was able to run all the tax piece. Right. So she yep. was good advisor for me as far as here's how much you save. And I opened my business account right away and I started to create a secondary savings account where I would slug away all those, that tax dollars. So I just knew this is the system, you save for taxes, you don't wanna get into trouble. And I also knew I didn't wanna take on any debt. So that was just a hard and fast rule. At the end of that first year, I started to really grow and I hired a business coach. And he helped me see like, you got to put some processes in place. You have to figure out like what's your hiring system. You know, how many people do you want to hire? Let's do a, a math equation. Okay, by the end of the year, you want this many clients. That means you're going to have to bring on this many team members how many team members can take on how many clients, and we kind of calculated it that way. And that next year too, same spreadsheet, same check-in with taxes. And I think we went from like making, I think it was like sixteen or seventeen thousand dollars that first year. It was not a lot. To I think the second year we ended up making like one hundred and twenty-five thousand. And we really, really grew significantly that second year. And then that third year was when I realized I started, I needed help. I needed more help with tracking. So we started to create the system. Profit First came in probably around that time. And I didn't follow his method to a T, but I did have all my separate accounts so that I could see where all the money was going. And I was also very, very aware of what were my profit margins. It's always something we pay attention to. What's net? What's gross? I want to see those. I don't even really care about the final number because the net and the gross profit were allowing us to see where team dollars were being spent and how we could continue to grow. So that now I have a full bookkeeper, I, my full accountant. We touch base once a month. It's definitely very different than it was before. But I still have the same philosophy that I don't want to take on debt. We have an emergency fund for the business. We're always cash positive And every dollar has a place that it goes. And there's always the checks and balances to say, where are we spending money? And if there's something that's on a higher proportion, how do we cut that down? How do we look at even our other things like our membership and allow that to be kind of our slush fund to funnel into some things where maybe we have refunds. So in the beginning, I would say that same philosophy has carried me through all the way of no debt, every dollar has a place, and how can we just be cash flow positive?
1: Have you always been mindful with your money, where your money goes? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah okay. Definitely. So your mindset is there, you know how important it is to basically, but I think your business coach is helping you to basically look at the translation, I think, from your vision, how many people, and then how is that going to translate to your profit, your net profit, Mm -hmm. right? How is that going to impact? I'm sure it's going to impact your pricing because the more people that you hire, it's not only pricing, it's number of clients that you need to Bring in as well, right? Because yeah. you have that responsibility. Okay. Yes. When you say you, you know, you scale your business to seven figures, did you add revenue streams to your business, or it continued to be Pinterest management solely?
0: We actually, now that we look at it, we've added over the years. So we did Pinterest management for that alone and just a few one-off services like cleanups or builds or consults those were there probably the first three years mm-hmm. and then we realized people were coming to us for pinterest images because they wanted people to be very they wanted people to be experts in that space and we just didn't have that ability to do that so we began to create that department at the beginning of 2018. Mm-hmm. And then we began to create the promoted pins department oh. because we realized people were coming to us like, how do you do paid ads on yes. Pinterest? So yes. that took lift off probably about six to eight months ago and it that's continuing to grow well. And then we also I looked at there's kind of a tension in the beginning of serving clients and then serving the audience because they're I didn't do a podcast in the beginning, but I did do an email list. So I I knew really early on, I wanted to start to establish my authority in the Pinterest space. Mm. So I had just a super basic static site. I didn't even have a blog side to it, but I would email people every Wednesday and I would just talk about Pinterest. And you know, there was like seven people on my list and I'm sure they were all my friends. (sighs) And it just grew from there and grew from there. And then 20... 16, I believe it was was 2016, maybe even been 2015. I started the podcast and that was the first time I started blog posts too, as well, because my business coach encouraged me to start creating content that would develop authority. But that was also hard because I'm serving clients, serving a team, but now I'm over here being a teacher and was one betraying the other. And I think that was hard as well. And so that's when we went down the courses and the launching model and all of that. And we we decided to close all of that actually in 2018. And then now we just have a membership model where we can just teach and I can, I can shift in real time and everything. But so now we have the membership as one specific okay. funnel. Affiliates are another big one for us. Organic management, promoted pins management and images. So those are really the buckets that we have now. So yeah, it's very well diversified, but in the beginning it wasn't.
1: So, okay. From what I can hear from you, you basically started with Pinterest management, right? That's your beginning in 2014. And then as you are growing your business, you're listening to what your clients are asking you to do in relation to the Pinterest management. Well, Pinterest as a whole Right. Mm -hmm. And then from there, by listening to your clients, you basically strategically also, okay, I'm going to create this another revenue stream. And then you listen again and then you create another revenue stream. So, technically, when you are scaling up, the thing that is important is listening to your client, but also be strategic because you can grow. You can, like, oh, I want Pinterest management or I'm going to do images, I'm going to do promoted pins, but really, How do you know which one is the most profitable and then really going to be profitable, right? So did you do any beta, any testing as you are scaling up on that revenue stream?
0: Yeah, we did. We did a lot of beta and we always have given ourselves that. I love beta because it's kind of an excuse to fail, right? Like, well, if it doesn't work, it was in beta, right? Yeah. So we tested a lot of things and when we tested it, we not only wanted to see... We knew we could deliver the product, but did we have the right system? Did the team internally feel like we were pushing a boulder uphill? Or did we feel like, oh yeah, this is perfect. We needed it. And I think images was really our first place where we were trying to get like, what's the best system? Because we needed to also tote that line of, we're not a design company. We're not, not going to do logos. We're not going to do all... We're just doing Pinterest design. And some clients would kind of try to push the line to get a bunch of edits or they would try to get us to do a logo. And it's like, sorry, these are the parameters of which we work. And so... Beta allowed us to really flesh out a lot of those things or ask clients, hey, what do you think about? Will you test this out? We'll give you a discount. Or Mm. maybe we would say to our organic management clients, hey, we need three people to do a promoted pins campaign. These are the qualifications that we're looking for. Will Mm. you give us feedback? So that allowed us to not only build value within our current clients, but it allowed us to learn what worked best and what didn't. And throughout those processes of adding those departments, specifically images and promoted pins, I also realized that I couldn't be a part of them. I needed to find somebody on my team who could be the director, who could own it, who could run with it because I didn't really need my hands in it anymore. I needed to coach the person who was building the team because I knew the vision of how I needed to serve clients, Mm -hmm. but we needed to figure out a way to empower and equip them to give the clients what they were asking. And I had heard a long time ago from somebody that if you get a question more than three times, you need to begin to create something for it. And so not only were clients asking us about images or promoted pins, but our internal team was as well. Like, oh, you guys would be so good if I could take client A who has really horrible images and sell them into the images department. And then we could have this amazing system for really getting our clients' Pinterest marketing ramped up. But because they're so limited on their side with time, they can't do it. So then we, we kept hitting the roadblock. So it was both what the client was asking for, but also our internal team.
1: Okay. You have a Pinterest management business. Do you promote your services through Pinterest as well? Is that your main marketing strategy from the beginning? Yeah. That is? Okay. Mm -hmm. So can you help my audience to understand what are the analytics on Pinterest? So they understand what is really working and then what if Pinterest is going to work for them. Right. So what are the key
0: metrics that they need to look at? So the key metrics are going to be mostly the clicks. So anything like a repin or an impression, they're just not taking action. And this goes hand in hand with Google Analytics. Mm. So we mm. definitely use that as like our gold standard. And I build the business based on two avenues to drive the eyeballs. And that was Google and Pinterest because I knew that they were traffic drivers. And mm. so when we look at the traffic, we go, okay on Pinterest, what are people clicking on to get to the site? And when they're getting to the site, they're reading a blog post, listening to a podcast. Do they want more? So do they want a checklist? Do they want a planner? Do they want these things that are going to help them really level up their Pinterest marketing? So when it came to Pinterest, we wanted to position ourselves as, again, the Pinterest marketing authority. And that was new in this space. There wasn't a lot there. So we wanted to teach people the how-tos. What are the questions I'm getting in my emails? What are people asking? asking me. That's the best place to start. You know, If you're listeners, if they're getting the same question over and over, write a blog post and then begin to pin it onto Pinterest because chances are there's more than um, the one person that is emailing them. And I always think the person that's emailing me this question, there's Mm -hmm. 20 more that are asking the same question, but either didn't have time to send the email or didn't think it was worth it. So why don't I just answer the question now and then whenever I need to reference back to it, I can always go, oh, I have an answer to that question here, which shows the authority, which shows the knowledge, and it just builds community from there. And I think that's probably the best way, you know, when it comes to the analytics side, what are they clicking on? Are you getting people clicking on your stuff? Because impressions tend to be, or repin saves, if you have like an infographic, if you're putting everything on the image that they could ever want, They're never going to click. So you have to pique their curiosity. And you have to remember that Pinterest is a search and discovery network. Mm -hmm. People are going on there to search. They're Mm -hmm. not primed to be in the ecosystem like they are on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So always think, how can I move them off and onto my content so that they can get the answers they're looking for?
1: Okay, for your business, let's just talk about your business at the very beginning or even now. Mm -hmm. If you are doing your focus, your marketing channel on Pinterest, Right, and then you use Google Analytics to see which page are do they go to, what do they want after. How does that translate to your revenue goals or to the number of clients? Can you explain your process there?
0: So there's a couple of ways. So mm-hmm. one of our top posts on Pinterest, and what can happen is they're often called viral posts or legacy pins. We like to call them. They mm-hmm. bring traffic year over year forever. I have one that I pinned back in 20. 16, I believe. And it's how to clean up Pinterest boards. Well, for us, we get a lot of people that come to that particular page. We get Mm -hmm. them on our email list. Mm -hmm. And then we begin to talk to them about how what stage of Pinterest marketing are you at? And we are like, are you start? Then here's how you get started on Pinterest. And now we want you to join our collective because you're not ready to buy our services because you're not making enough money yet. Mm -hmm. And then there's even there's grow. They can select, Hey, I know a little bit about Pinterest, but I really want to grow. So we nurture them in our email. And then we say, you should join the collective, right? Because these two groups of people we know are not quite ready to pay for our monthly fee. Mm -hmm. And then there's the scale people. They don't stick around too long. They might come from Pinterest, hang out on our email list for a while, but really they're ready to hand it off. So our nurture sequence to them in the email is really, okay, how do you know if you're ready to hire somebody? The first two groups of Start, Grow, they're not even interested in that question. But the scale people, they're, they're really ready to say, am I ready to hire? Am I ready to outsource this? And we help them figure that out. So that's really how it goes through the monetization chain when it comes from Pinterest. And all pins lead to a place where they can sign up for either... We only have a few select opt-ins. I know there's a lot of people who do opt-ins on like every post. We don't do that. We have our main pillar opt-in, which is our planner. And that's like 22 pages of Pinterest marketing. And they go through that same deciding funnel. They come into it and they go, where are you at? Let me, let us serve you. Let us talk to you in the way that you need to be talked to. And that's something we realized over the years about our audience is that, People were at such different stages Mm -hmm. that we couldn't just talk to them about services. We had to really drill down. So that's how we utilize Pinterest is to specifically grow our email list. Because we believe that once they get on there, they begin to know more about me. They learn about the podcast. And then that translates to funneling them to where they can purchase. So even the image guide, we have like a, a free image guide that's eight or nine pages about how to create the best images for Pinterest. Well, that specifically funnels them towards our image services, or even if they want to do it themselves, it's going into the collective. So there's always an end goal, but it's pretty Mm -hmm. much down the line. You know, Pinterest is a very cold user. They need a lot Mm -hmm. of warm up time. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So then that's why the email really nurtures them.
1: So let's say that, you know, I found that viral pin. So I click on it. And then it's going to lead to where? A, a, a blog post on your website?
0: Mm-hmm. A blog post, yeah. Okay.
1: So, because in Google Analytics, they're going to see how many minutes or how many seconds you stay yep. on that blog post, right? Yep. So, it's going to tell you. So, from the blog post, you have an opt in in there to mm-hmm. join your email list. Yeah. Okay. So, they opt in to your email list. And then from there, I'm trying to understand how do you separate them between the collective and then people that ready to scale up or everybody join that opt-in.
0: You know, we have the three tags in there. There are three specific links that end up tagging them. So they, if they click on scale, they're automatically tagged. Oh, they're, they're interested in services. Ah. So then we can go in and pull that tag and send them a personal email that says, Hey, we see you're interested in services. Do you want to set up a discovery call? Here's how to learn more. And then if they're in the grow, we can target them because they've, they've been tagged because they clicked on it. We yeah. can say, we're having a special promotion on the collective. Would you like to join? or even somebody who I write the weekly email And we'll talk about things like promoted pins. Well, we'll add a tag to that to where if they click the link, they're automatically tagged, oh, I'm interested in promoted pins. So we have a pretty elaborate tagging system where we can then talk to them based on what they click on once they get in the email. So it is hard, you know, in analytics, when you look at, we look at the list in Google Analytics Mm -hmm. of the top 10 pins driving the most traffic. And a lot of them will be pretty similar. That's pretty common. And we'll go into those posts and say, okay, here's the bounce rate. Here's how much time they're spending on this particular post. We'll also cross compare it with Google. Are we getting the same amount of traffic from Google as well? And we focused on SEO and seeing how we can Uh, kind of how we can leverage both. Yes. Yes. And so then we go, okay, what does this person need? and is the planner enough. And the planner usually is enough to get people in. And we don't want to create any unnecessary opt-ins. We did that for a while where we created a lot, but then we have convert kit so we looked in there to see what were the conversion rates mm-hmm. of the people how many people were joining the list and some were super low like 0.5 whereas some were like you know 32% were joining the planner. Okay, well let's double down on the 32% and grow that and that's where we found that that's been the best entry point for the pinterest user.
1: Ah, okay. So, do you monitor your conversion rate after Okay, so let's say that you already separate them and then they get the, you know, the scale one, you know, obviously that should be your biggest profit margin, right? The one that wanna scale. Then do you monitor your conversion rate and then do you use that conversion rate number when you are planning for the future?
0: Yes, that's been a big push of 2019. I will say I have kind of been fearful of conversions, like not fearful, but kind of like, oh, do I have to look at the numbers, right? It's a little bit you want to bury your head in the sand. But we're, we've really focused this last year on overhauling email, looking at conversions and only optimizing for where the highest conversion rates are. And then looking at, okay, what's changed month over month, even our weekly emails. What are the subject lines doing? Are people opening? So we look at open rate, click rate, and um, conversion rate of our opt-ins. And this next year, we're going to get even more specific about it. How can we add UTM codes to maybe okay, our what is sales UPL? page? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I act like I know what they are, but I, I, somebody else on my team uses those. Oh, so they're the Google link that you can build, like a Google UTM Builder. You can basically... We actually do these on our Pinterest pins too. So you can basically add a little snippet of code and create what's called a campaign. So then if I was to pin, let's say we create five different images, Pinterest images for our planner. Uh We would add the UTM codes to all of them. And then what it allows us to see is how many got the most clicks. So if one image reigns really high, we know, oh, that image gets great conversions. So we're gonna take that kind of template and we're going to kind of play it on some other content that we have. And then in Google Analytics, it'll show us how many clicks that particular Pinterest image brought to the site. And then we can also add those UTM codes inside our email to see, okay, how many people clicked to convert to the collective and they purchased into our membership. Everybody tries me to get to add the UTM codes myself and I just ignore their videos. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a CEO. I don't have to do this.
1: To touch the details, I just want to know the result and the big picture. That's right. right.
0: Give me a dashboard. Show me everything all at once. And I—that's another thing we did right away—is we created dashboards real early on because I'm like, I'm not digging. I'm not gonna. You're you guys are gonna get so frustrated with me. So now we actually on our image team we have a UTM person. <laughs> She actually does UTMs for all of our clients who need UTMs and she does UTMs for me. And so she will upload it. And I'm like, okay, I know where to find the information, but I don't want to just don't let me see any of that. That
1: is a very good point because as a CEO, you need something like a dashboard, a short one page with all the key metrics to make the best business decision because you do not want to go down the rabbit hole trying to figure it out. It's a waste mm-hmm. of your time. You have to trust yes. your
0: team. Yep, you have trust teams. We do have one main dashboard that we had built by a project analyst who was great for us. She not only took our Pinterest data for our clients because we wanted to tell the story of what our growth rates, yes. what our reaping rate, all of that. Yes. So she created, um, we have a main um, team hub so we can see kind of what happens the oh. fluctuation. And then we have a main dashboard for the company that tracks everything. I can see sessions. I can see opt-in rates. I can see podcast downloads. It's just all there and I can open it up whenever I actually remember to open it. (laughs) So full transparency. (laughs)
1: Okay. So other than Pinterest, SEO, what else do you use for your marketing?
0: The only other thing that we use, so well, obviously email, I just talked about that. Yes. The only other thing we have used is a Facebook group. So very okay. early on when I was doing things, I got involved in a Facebook group and there was a girl who was leading, it was secret. It was pre, you know, just two or 300 of us. Yes. Well, she decided to step away from Pinterest marketing and she said, do you want this group? And I was like, sure, let's rename it the Simple Pin Pinterest Strategy Group. And we began to give a place to talk about Pinterest marketing. So right now, I think we have eight, almost 19,000 people in that group. And one of the the main things we use this group for is for data research for what we need to do as far as content. So if everybody's asking the same question over and over, I create a podcast and then that allows our moderators and our admins to go back and answer the questions with a blog post. So we're driving traffic from Facebook. It's not a lot. It's maybe like 4 or 5% total per month, mm. but it allows to build authority and it allows a space where we can say this is where we talk about just Pinterest marketing and this is where we help you. I'm not in there as much anymore. I definitely grew the group significantly and looked at the culture, but now the only place that I really am is in the collective with my students who are paying for the membership.
1: Yeah, makes sense, right? I mean, they're paying for it. The other one you can manage in a different way. So, you know, some people I've been talking and then I've been hearing like a lot of people close their Facebook group, you know, because they don't think like it's driving the traffic. So you still get a little bit,
0: but not a lot. Yeah, I would say it's, you know, we've, we struggled with it too. Like I felt the same thing that you, what you're saying, like should I close it? Should I yeah. not? But then we, we listened to a great podcast that Amy Porterfield had done with Dana Mallstaff that was about <gasps> creating buzzworthy content in a Facebook group. Huh. And it kind of revived our energy for the group that we had. And we realized we have 70,000 people in here and we might as well do something with this. And we are very good at controlling culture, delete and ban. That's another thing somebody told me early on. Do not let people who are going to be negative Nellies in your group delete and ban immediately. Do not allow it. So we did that early on. And then we realized this could just be a good place for me to pop in every once in a while to touch base with people, to touch base with listeners of the podcast or Mm -hmm. readers of the email. Mm -hmm. And yeah, while not a huge traffic driver... I think it's the same as Inst- Instagram drives no traffic, right? Huh. Like it is ridiculous. You ca- it's really hard to drive traffic off of Instagram because huh. people get stuck in it. Huh. So there just has to be platforms sometimes that build visibility, right? And then maybe that's the only reason you use it whereas something like Pinterest is the introvert's platform. Like there's no conversation over there.
1: Exactly. That's what I was going to ask because Pinterest is a Google search. Engine. It's like Google. I was. It's not really social media because you don't really interact.
0: No, not at all. And when people do, you're like, why is somebody commenting? <laughs> like, why are you talking to me? So then you, you only, I think what's really helpful for business owners is to know why you're using the tool. I don't use Instagram to drive traffic. I just use Instagram to show my face to people, to interact with people on a little more personal level, to do DMs. And we use Facebook specifically for the content driving, the visibility, and the ability to just create a space where people can talk about Pinterest marketing because you can't do all three platforms to provide something different. You just need to know why you're doing it. And Instagram was way late for us. Mm-hmm. We did not incorporate that into our plan right away. Mm-hmm. I got the name, but mm-hmm. I didn't actually do anything until 2018.
1: What about your podcast? How, where do you position your podcast in the whole ecosystem of your marketing? Is it driving traffic?
0: It is. Yeah. That's a huge one for us. And the podcast is doubled with blog posts, which double as SEO, which double as also social. So it's really mainly the hub. That's our, that's our starting point. Uh, And then everything funnels out from there. It has to have a goal, has to have a keyword target uh, and has to serve a purpose.
1: So that's your main, that's the top of the channel. And then from there it works out. And then that's how you plan your marketing strategy. And then that's how it's going to translate to your sales. When you do planning for your number of clients, the sales and everything, you look at all your metrics, right? You look Mm -hmm. at your conversion rate, you look at the Google analytics, you look at everything to translate it, right? You don't just simply take revenue growth from last year. It's 30%. So next year it's going to be another
0: 30%. Right. No, I almost never think in those terms. I mean, we have grown about 40 to 50% year over year, which has Mm -hmm. been great. I'll take it, but it's never been something that I ever measure anything on. Why? I think mostly because it feels unpredictable. Whereas Mm -hmm. something like um, emails or conversions or clicks feel very controllable. Yeah. And proven. Mm -hmm. And proven data. Okay. So
1: what are you excited about for 2020, Kate?
0: 2020, visibility and conversion is our two words that we're really focused on. So I think for me, we've never actually done a lot of Facebook ads. We've Mm -hmm. really focused on a content-based business. And so now that we have all this content behind us and we've proven the funnels, we're now going to invest in Facebook ads, which was pretty... That's big huge. decision. <laughs> it is huge. So we found actually it's so great because somebody who's already on my team as an image contractor, yeah. she does this on the for her other business as well. So she knows my business. She knows the inside. She was able, we were able to hire her and say, we want you to run Facebook ads, but she had this intimate connection with Simple Pin, which made it better than hiring just some other agency who didn't know my voice or didn't know who I was. So we're able to actually jump into that. And I feel good about it as opposed to just hiring an agency to do it. So,
1: oh my God,
0: we'll That's see. Wh- I get believe we're interested in Facebook. I know. It's crazy. And we're doing a lot of Pinterest ads too. That's another thing that we're the promoted pins department that we have here. They're running with a lot of my stuff to see if we can really do a lot of conversions into email specifically into the collective. So that's our big goal for this year's Pinterest ads and Facebook ads.
1: Where do you see simple pin media in the next five years, Kate?
0: I see us as um, more recognized, I would say, the visibility piece, even on an international level. We already do have quite a bit of international people in the UK and Australia. And Germany is another one. We're getting a lot of people coming to us for, give me all the information. Like, how do we continue to be that authority that's so closely aligned with Pinterest, you know, that we... Pinterest might be where you go, but we basically translate what they're telling us and put it into terms for how do you you take action on it. So I would say in the next five years, I see us as serving probably around 300 clients and that's organic. And then I would say we'll probably have fifty monthly promoted pin clients, quite a bit of image clients. We want to do about, I think right now we're doing about 500 recurring monthly images. We'd like to get to 1500 a month with that. And then to have, I'd love to have a thousand members in the collective. So
1: how many members right now?
0: We have 145. Wow. So that's five years though. Five got years. Some, I know. We've got some time. I know. I know. Where can people find you, Kate? Simplepinmedia.com. You can find everything there. And then it, I'm at Simplepinmedia on all social channels.
1: Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here every week at Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women's entrepreneurs. Head on over to kristinashahli.com forward slash Her CEO Journey to subscribe for this podcast. And don't forget to tell other women entrepreneurs that this podcast is available for free in the podcast apps of their choice. Until next time, and let's continue to grow a business that fuels the life that you want to live.